MNK Talk YA now presents The Bear and the Nightingale, Part 2, from the Winter Night Trilogy by Catherine Arden. K Talk YA. I'm Marissa Snyder. And I'm Katie Bradford. And this is our Young Adult Fiction Podcast. And this week we finished up the first book in the Winter Night Trilogy by Catherine Arden. This book was called The Bear and the Nightingale. Oh my goodness, I just realized that this actually has a trilogy name. I think on the last episode I just said in The Bear and the Nightingale Trilogy. I forgot that it had a name. <laughs> oh, that's fine. Yeah, I mean, it's like rare that they do. I like when they do, though, because it kind of, like, has a cohesion to it that's nice. Um, But then I got confused because I was like, wait, didn't we read Winter Night? And then I was like, oh, (laughs) no, that was a whole different series. Well, the funny thing is, I feel like I checked, and every single book, which are all on my desk where I record, say, you know, book whatever of the Winter Night trilogy, but for some reason I didn't notice it, I guess. (laughs) I don't know. Well, it's all good. That's the trilogy. Cool. Um, The other thing that I was thinking about from last week was uh, in the first half of the book, we got a bear, but we hadn't got a nightingale yet. So I'm glad that like we finally got sort of kind of a nightingale who's also a horse. (laughs) Yeah, but is it also a nightingale? I'm actually kind of confused about the horse. (laughs) Does he think he's a nightingale? But like when Morosco went and found him he was a nightingale and Mm -hmm. then he was talking about how he's sometimes a nightingale and then I was confused and he was maybe fold but maybe also hatched (laughs) yeah he's a little confused part of me likes that like this the mystical side of things that like isn't explained or like doesn't make sense in our world entirely or like things can be like here and there or nowhere or you know you can be in a house and a under trees at the same time or whatever (laughs) but the other part of me is like, my mind doesn't understand. <laughs> I know. My poor human mind is just so left behind. Um, speaking of left behind, we left off. Our halfway point was around when Vasya meets her betrothed, Kirill. Oh, yeah. I kind of forgot about him until just know, now. Me too. That seems like a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, because they were planning to marry her off to protect her from the Frost guy. The Frost King. What's his name again? Mor- I keep calling him Morozova, which is so not true. That's from Shadow and Bone. <laughs> his name is Morosko. Morosko. I'm going to write that down. Morosko. So um, yeah, so this suitor, I guess, um, shows up and... Didn't work out quite as well as they anticipated. No, there's a big red flag because his horse doesn't like him. And as soon as I heard that, I was like, oh, he's, he's bad news. It's not going to work out. I love that she can talk to horses, by the way. That's like <laughs> one of my favorite little details. I know. It made me wish that I could, too. Yeah. Maybe I would be less afraid of riding. <laughs> yeah, so we did have that, I guess, foreshadowing. But he didn't seem like an all-around terrible guy. He just didn't seem like anything special, sort of, at the beginning. Yeah, at the beginning, it it wasn't like a glaring red flag, like he didn't show up and immediately start acting awful, but as time goes on, you kind of realize that he's not, he's just looking for a different kind of woman, I guess. (laughs) 
to put it politely. Well, he's looking for the tradition. I mean, like, it sounds like his expectations as far as society are concerned are relatively normal. Yeah, he wants a woman to give him children. Yeah, it's just doesn't fit our character at all. Nope. And he gets, I love that the thing that crossed the line, though, was like she she got on his horse to save her brother or her nephew her or nephew, whoever. Yeah. yeah, and that was like the straw that broke his back. He was like, you embarrassed me in front of everyone else by riding my horse, which I guess like was a big deal. But in some ways, I was kind of like, that seems like such a funny, odd, Stupid like thing. detail to be the thing that was like so terrible he couldn't get over yeah and i think it's interesting how people are like terrified by how well she rides it's like one more thing that contributes to them thinking that she's a witch or a demon um that actually ties into my research hint hint Ooh, what did you research well i'll tell you later but it is related to her riding horses um yeah i guess part of it is because women don't ride at all part of it is because I think she rides even better than most of the men and like doesn't use a saddle or you know just like hops on and obviously she's talking Mm -hmm. to the horses too which they don't understand but and then I think part of it too is just that they all I think it's almost easier to believe she's a witch because I think they all assume that they knew her better than they did Hmm, that's a good point. Because, like, if they had seen her practicing writing or, like, getting better with writing, I think it would have been less shocking, but it's almost like she did it all in secret, and they're like, oh, we know this girl. How did she, like, suddenly develop this amazing ability to ride horses or something? I don't know. Yeah. And they also just want a scapegoat because they're afraid. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, the priest isn't helping anything by, like, constantly encouraging them to find a scapegoat. Constantine, I just hate him so much (laughs) it was so interesting though because in this half he this is when he started hearing quote-unquote the voice of god right Right. and i kind of loved that that like he's a priest and he thought god was talking to him um but then it ended up being the the bear i loved it too but it also was such an inch because like people who hear voices like even today like some of them believe it's god talking to them and some of them believe it's the demons talking to them and some of People believe it's their own, you know, brain rewired, mm-hmm. different, whatever. But it is interesting to be like, yeah, if you heard a voice, would you assume it's God? Would you assume it's the devil? Would you assume you're imagining it? Like, what What do you think you would do? I think, I mean, it's definitely would depend on your worldview. And like in this case, Constantine is a monk. So I think it's totally believable that he thinks it's the voice of God, especially since he, like, has been invoking God all his life and being like, please, you know, help me or direct me or lead me or whatever. Me, personally, I would be very terrified and I would make an appointment with a psychiatrist immediately. Well, and it's also interesting because in some ways you'd be like, oh, it depends on what they were saying. Like, if they were telling you to do bad things, you'd think it was a demon. If they were telling you to do good things, you'd think it was God or an angel or something like that, possibly. But why would he assume a demon's talking to him? He's he's assuming God's finally responding to him. It's kind of mm-hmm. aligning with his fears or worse. It's affirming things that he's already... It's like he wants God to agree with him. So that's what he's hearing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was a really interesting idea, though. And I was a little bit confused, too, at first, because I wasn't sure what this voice was. And I kind of wish that we had gotten clarification earlier that it was the, the bad demon, not the good brother Frost demon. But even that is just... Yeah, I think it, I've been... I'm, like, still partially confused. I get that they're twins... And mm-hmm. the bear brother 
we want to keep asleep and he like feeds off of fear but the other guy is still like the god of death or like i i still don't know if he's actually good or if they just like currently have a common enemy or if like it's still unclear he's not killing everyone but he also has killed people yeah and and i'm not sure like i wish there was more to the backstory that we got because we kind of got a little bit of a backstory where it's like the bear is the bringer of storms and they started out brothers and split well and there was something about like fear is what feeds him right yeah so like the the more scared the village is or the more scared his victims are the more power he has exactly but but there isn't really a parallel to the frost demon it's not like when you show courage he gets stronger or something like that it's they're brothers but there isn't enough parallels between them like i don't even know why he's called the bear yeah i don't either i mean he seems to morph into a bear sometimes but is that the only reason i guess the medved is what they call him too yeah but it's like if they're brothers what is the relationship or like where did they come from right yeah that's missing so the medved in wikipedia just says it means bear in russia I think I actually also Googled that, and I was like, well, that's not going to help me with my research. Nope. <laughs> we figured that part out. I Yeah, I was, like, a little bit confused by a lot of stuff, actually, in this second half. Well, it's interesting because it kind of feels like a standalone. Like, there's no open conflict in a lot mm-hmm. of ways at the end. But at the same time, there's a lot of questions. So, like, knowing it's a trilogy, I sort of forgave the fact that I'm confused because I'm assuming that things will be further explained Mm -hmm. in later books. But, like, if I didn't know it was a trilogy, I'd almost end the book and be like, okay, well, they, like, put the guy back to sleep and she's just gonna run away on her own. But, like, I'd be unsatisfied because I'd feel like I had all these things that I still didn't understand. Yes. And I I kind of hope, though, that we get kind of a different fairy tale in the second book because the second one's called The Girl in the Towers. And so I'm kind of hoping we're done with the bear and the frost demon guy just because, I don't know, I'm kind of over them at this point. I kind of hope the frost demon guy comes back because I still feel like he knows more than he's saying or can elaborate on things. Mm. But I agree. I want it to get bigger. Like, I don't want it to just be about these two brothers anymore. Yeah. And I want to see Moscow and what's going on with the... Dimitri, yeah. Yeah. And her sister. Where did Olga go? Oh, I keep forgetting about her sister. Yeah. And I think her half-sister is going to come back in at some point, maybe. I don't know. I think her and all the sibling relationships are pretty interesting. I agree. I really liked... That's actually one of my favorite parts of this book, is, like, seeing her and Sasha... Or, no, Alosha and um, her and Irina. I want. I definitely do want more of that. I want more of, like... This sounds weird. I want more of, like, the real world. No, I agree. I mean, I think... Part of what I liked about the first half of this book was that you felt like everything was living together, which also made it more believable. Mm -hmm. Like, I like when, like, 80% of the characters see the world the way I do. It makes me believe, like, oh, yeah, that magic or that other side could be there and I'm just not seeing it versus, Mm. like, if everyone sees it or thinks it, then it's, like, harder to relate to almost. I don't know if that makes any sense. So I love, like, that, like, oh, yeah, there's, like, real historic stuff and, like, we're dealing with, there's, like, this Christianity side and there's, like, I like that, there you know, pe- other people aren't seeing what she's seeing. So it's, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, like, love that aspect and I do feel like we got a little bit heavy on the folklore side this second half. I agree. Um, the part that I did like was I liked the upper or whatever. The what? The, um... I don't know how to pronounce it. 
upper the vampires oh yeah i kind of really liked that yeah no i did too that was pretty cool but it was hard to follow at first or i guess i was having trouble figuring out like what was the bear what was the frost king what was a dead person Mm -hmm. brought back to life what her necklace did or like what her blood did what what she was doing that was like magical almost versus what about her actions was it just that she wasn't scared or you know like some of the like I didn't fully understand the rules yeah because her um grandmother Dunya ends up being resurrected as an upper and she is afraid because she's like about to attack her and then she gives her her blood and it like seems to bring her back and she stops being threatening and like recognizes her a little bit I mean she calls her by her mother's name but yeah I was like how did you know to give her your blood like I get that they're vampire-ish but but like the other one the first one Agafia or whatever the other lady in town was because she was the one who attacked the priest in his dream or whatever right that was my favorite scene yeah that was a cool scene like when she's crawling through the window and she's like clawing through the house to get at him and like the description of her I was like this is terrifying and I secretly love it (laughs) but then that was also where she like cut her hand and her blood scared like so that was like one of the first times we saw her blood but I again didn't fully understand what it was about her blood if it really was like she's descended whoever her grandmother was something with that or if it was that she wasn't afraid, or if it was just any blood from a human, like, somehow scared away the dead. Or was it the salt in her blood? Oh. That's what I was thinking. Like, I don't know, fairies and salt, iron, iron sometimes? I don't know. I'm guessing here. But I was like, maybe it's the salt or the iron in her blood that, like, halts them or stops them. I don't know. But I agree. There were too many things like that where they introduce solutions to problems that I would never have thought of on my own because I don't understand the rules and and I find that frustrating I think that's was my biggest issue with this book like there were so many times when they solve a problem kind of quickly and easily and it's not like rooted in anything that we've seen before so it's just kind of like oh okay I guess she can use her blood to like stop the vampires great well again that was where I loved her sibling relationship because I feel like when she would explain things to her brother is when it would make sense to me. And I felt like his lens was sort of just Mm. enough. Like he was, he trusted his sister and was willing to believe even though he couldn't see things. So, and that's Mm. kind of what I felt like as a reader, right? Like I, I don't really get it because I haven't seen house guardians and river rights and things like that before but like if it was someone I loved and trusted then I'd be like yeah okay what do we need to do how do I help you know direct me and I felt like you know when she was explaining or when they went and dug up the dead body and like hammered the thing through like that made sense to me I was like oh so she really was dead and is now coming back like that like helped tie things together for me but then he didn't ask enough questions in my opinion I'm fine with him helping her but I wanted him to be like the voice of the reader and sort of be like wait what are we looking at or what are we doing and someone explain it to him <laughs> yeah and maybe it's partly that we don't understand the folklore or the folktales so That's like fair. Yeah. she knew that you had to like dig up the body and stab a stake through the skull but we kind of don't have that information I guess yeah. what I'm more upset about too is like I really hated the end which part well I, I liked the part where the bear needed someone who can see the demons to to escape 
escape his binding, so he um, asks for Anna. Mm-hmm. And I kind of really liked that, how, like, he couldn't have Vasa, so he, he asks for Anna. I like that, um, too, but I'm also confused why it needed to be someone who could see them. Again, I'm just, like, confused exactly. what their power is. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, okay, well, why is it... Before we said that people who are scared are the ones who are, like, helping you, but now why is it, like, oh, this person who can see things is gonna free me um and then even at the end when like Vasa is battling the bear by herself and then her father shows up mm-hmm. and he was like don't take my daughter take my life instead and the bear kills him but his sacrifice ends up like binding the bear again mm-hmm. and I was just like okay not that that's like an easy solution but I was just like I, I just didn't buy it. I was like, okay, I guess, like, your sacrifice bound him, but doesn't really make sense. And then also, like, I hated the explanation for why he just showed up in the forest because uh, Frost, she, or Vasa asks that question too, and Frost says something like, oh, your father came home early and the tree lured him here. The tree, like, called to him. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait. This man has had all of the sensitivity of a stone this entire book, like, (laughs) you know, has been really dismissive of his daughter seeing these things. And now all of a sudden the tree is calling him and he's able to like show up right at the exact minute to save his daughter and like make this sacrifice. So I was just like, oh, okay, now the tree calls to people. Cool. And it, it was just frustrating because it's just, to me, it's messy whenever you don't have rules that people can understand. Well, and I was also confused about who in the, like, of the various creatures, some of them were fighting on the bear's side and some of them were fighting against the bear, right? So I think I figured that out. Okay. So I I don't remember if it was the Versalka or if it was a different demon in the forest, but they said something along the lines of when the bear gets stronger, he's able to control them and they won't have a choice in helping him. So I think... Like, when the bear was calling the forest demons to him, he was controlling them. And that's why, like, the Rosalka killed Anna. Or no, Dunya kills Anna. The Rosalka attacks her brother. But not all of them were fighting. So, how? like, I couldn't tell how or, like, why did some of them join the bear and some of them fight against the bear? The only thing I could think of was that he wasn't able to control all of them. He was just able to control some. And that's why... Um, Vasya needed to call the um, house spirits to help her because she could at least control them or like she knew that they would help her but yeah again confusing especially yeah because I thought if they had a choice I was like why is the one who was her friend and promised not to hurt people against them right now attacking her brother yeah yeah so that was that was the most frustrating part for me because I feel like when there's when anything can happen things lose their um, sense of urgency and I start to care a little bit less. Like, if I can follow along and, like, try and make guesses about what I think is going to happen, that's, like, more fun for me as a reader rather than just, oh, yeah, okay, the tree can call to people. Oh, cool, vampires can be killed by drinking people's blood. Like, Well, that's where I'm kind of curious to get back to, quote-unquote, the real world again and see, because, like, what's the, the village is going to interpret it as her mother and father or her stepmother and father were killed and she's still a witch and they're not going to believe or have seen the story with all these like I'm just kind of curious I feel like it'll almost make more sense when we see more of the out 
the non-witnesses perspective or like we get some more explanation like I, I guess I agree I'm also kind of confused and uncertain but I'm hopeful that things make more sense as the story goes on I wonder if we'll meet other people who can see like Vasya because it would be really nice if we got like another seer who's not crazy batshit Anna who I had so many problems with like I felt so bad that she was you know so upset that she could see these demons but I really didn't like the part where I forget who was talking to her about like oh what should we do with Vasya and she's like oh let's just give her to the villagers and they'll stone her to death I know yeah (laughs) she was kind of terrible yeah she was like well her father's not here so let's just kill her (laughs) but it also I mean I love that he could exchange the two of them, because they both had the gift. But I didn't really understand why Constantine did. Like, I know he felt, like, a little bit guilty once he realized that he had been listening to a demon instead of God. But then he, like, kept listening to the de- Like, I sort of didn't understand why he turned on Anna and left her with him. I think he did that because he was so obsessed at that point with Vasya. Okay, so it wasn't guilt as much as it was, like, her specifically that he wanted to save? Yeah, and he didn't even want to save her out of the goodness of his heart. Like, he's obsessed with her, and he's, like, lusting after her, and he's like, oh, bring her back to me, and I'll make you this deal. Like, at that point, he was just, I think, a little bit out of his mind with obsession over her. Okay. That, I guess, makes more sense, then, because part of me was like, if you feel so guilty about listening to the demon, causing (laughs) a scenario where this girl is his victim why would you then turn on like the person who believes in you and exchange them I don't know but I guess that makes more sense yeah and he did have like that weird obsession with her I wonder if we'll see him again yeah so where did we because he got sent back to Moscow is that where he was supposed to go or where was he going at the end I don't know where he was going but I love that scene where Vasya and the frost demon confront him and she's like you need to leave now (laughs) yeah and he's like no I don't want to and she's like okay well I have death with me and if you don't bad things are gonna happen (laughs) yeah so I think he does leave I just don't know I don't know where no I agree yeah I guess they didn't tell they just said go (laughs) go back to Moscow to Vladimir to Sargrad or to hell but you must be gone before the snowdrops bloom Ooh, I like that and I liked that um Vasya got to leave as well like the whole thing about her Her whole life she's been like trying to escape this cage that society is trying to keep her in and I liked that it ended with her like going off with her horse and getting to see the world. Well and now that because you shared those story the the folk stories last Mm. time I'm curious to see like now is she going to pretend to be a boy and then have to prove that like I'm curious to see which of those stories take place going forward. That's a good point because there are little um you know, there are little nods to the uh, fairy tales. Like, even when Vasya ends up in Morosko's house and he is trying to convince her to go home. And she's like, no, I want to help find your brother. And he's like, no, just go home. And he was like, if you go home, I'll give you this beautiful collection of clothes. Like, he was going to send her home with the, the dowry, which is, like, yep. according to legends, the frost demon, like, kidnaps maidens and then... And if they're worthy, like, sends them back home with riches and jewels and stuff. And didn't her brother ask about it later, mm-hmm. too, or something? Wasn't he like, well, if that really happened, like, where, where's the gold <laughs> or something? Yeah. And I think he's not done. I'm kind of over the bear, but I feel like the Frost King, I saw questions about his motives. And, like, why did he give her the necklace? What was the point of that? I don't know. Was that to, like, 
protect him from the bear so he could track her? I don't know. Or, yeah, it could, did it allow them... We didn't... It could have been any number of things that we've seen, but it wasn't directly linked to any of the things we've seen, so I'm not sure. Yeah, and I'm just like, if you're going to include it, like, explain it. Well, maybe, again, maybe we'll get more in book two. Hopefully. I really hope we do. So I still... I really want to know what you researched. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll go into it. So I was inspired by Vasya being an amazing... Um, horse girl (laughs) equestrian that's the word love it did you learn how to talk to horses no (laughs) i researched women jockeys Ooh. so i was curious because well i guess the kentucky derby didn't happen this year or maybe it did and i just missed it but i always bet on the horses that have female jockeys (laughs) Like, I always ignore the horses, and if there's a female jockey, I'll just bet on that. Um, Love it. (laughs) So I was doing some research about, um, like, what percentage of jockeys in America are female. Um, It's only 14%. Wow. Yeah. And only 2% ride at the elite level of, like, the Triple Crown races. So the Preakness and the Kentucky Derby. Because I thought part of being a jockey was you had to be lightweight. You would think that they're be yeah. more opportunity for women well um i was doing some research about like the history of like when women started to become jockeys so mm-hmm. there's the u.s and australia for some reason were like the two areas that i pulled information from love it two sides of the world yeah i don't i don't know why but um so up until the mid 1900s in australia women were not permitted to ride as professional jockeys or on professional racetracks. So one of the first women, um, her name was Wilhelmina Smith. She rode at a North Queensland race course and she registered as Bill Smith. I was going to ask if any people hid their gender to ride. Yep. So she arrived at the track with her riding gear on under her clothes and she didn't shower. She didn't like do anything that could reveal her gender. And then finally, when she died in 1975, they finally revealed her gender. So she was was able to like hide her gender and compete, essentially, without people knowing. It's like, again, it makes me think about uh, the kingdom of back and like women lost to history because we've prevented them from like even entering even like being considered for things like think about how many talented equestrian females there probably have been that never got a chance to learn that Mm -hmm. or compete officially but I just think that's so fascinating like she was a really successful jockey in Queensland and she just was known as Bill Smith so did she like when she left the track would she then like did she, like, pretend she was her brother or her husband or something? I mean, like, how did she keep up a fake identity all day or just, like, when she went to the races? She secretly lived her life as a man to pursue her dream of becoming a jockey. So, yes, yeah, so that sounds like it was a long con, which is the wrong phrase for it. But, yeah, long-term, like, committed. That's so amazing. So she lived her life as a recluse in order to find easier employment. Um, she was orphaned at a really young age. So she was born in Western Australia, and she moved up to North Queensland when she was 16. And then she did some mining. And then in her 30s, she became very interested in horses. And so she decided, like, I'm just going to live my life as a man. 
because it'll be easier. I, like, love it on the one hand, and then also it makes me so sad on the other hand. Yeah, I totally agree. So how did she feel about guns versus embroidery? Which one would she have looked at? (laughs) I guess some people were suspicious of her behavior, so she earned the nickname Bill Gurley Smith, um, just because she never used the changing rooms. She was almost revealed on several occasions. There was one case where she and another jockey were thrown from their horses and he and she was windy winded and so he tried to loosen her trousers to help her breathe oh man she said there were some jockeys who tried to sneak behind the shower curtain um to see whether she was male or female but there were others who looked out for her and like protected her Oof! what a lonely secret to keep i would think because you like who could you trust with that because it would be such a big deal if it got out yeah very very lonely life so when she was 88, she became ill and was hospitalized, and then they realized that she was a woman. Wow, that's a long time. You can't even imagine. You said she went into horses in her 30s? It's like 50-some yeah. years? Wow. Um, so, okay, in, in America, here are some interesting stories. So in 1968, a woman named Penny Ann Early was the first woman to earn um, a license for a thoroughbred race. Um, She entered three races in Churchill Downs. Um, The male jockeys, however, announced a boycott of those races and no one, they they protested her and they wouldn't ride, so they had to cancel the races. Oh my goodness. I know. Don't they realize that just makes them look stupid? Like, if you feel so superior to women why would it be such a big deal to race against one shouldn't you just think you'll beat them no problem it's so ridiculous instead of being scared yeah exactly it's bizarre um diane crump in 1969 so she was the first licensed woman to actually ride so even though penny ann early got a license she didn't ride um but diane crump successfully rode she required a police escort to get through to the racetrack because there was such a huge crowd of angry people shouting at her. Um, hmm. She said, the crowd was swarming all over me. They were crazy up in arms. The hecklers were yelling, go back to the kitchen and cook dinner. That was the mentality of the time. They thought I was going to be the downfall of the whole sport, which is such a medieval thought. I was like, come on, people, this is the 1960s. Also, again... Especially for, like, sports or, like, things where, like, you're going to have a winner or, like, just compete. (laughs) Yeah. It doesn't, like, Like, why are we even saying female jockey, male jockey? Like, you're just jockeys. Well, or it's, like, even if you, like, think, oh, I'm a male jockey so I can be, like, I'm way better than all these female jockeys, then just prove it. Just go out and race and beat the women. And then if you, if there's, like, no women who can ever beat a man anywhere, then maybe eventually... Those, there's something to your thought, but, like, yeah. otherwise. <laughs> it's, like, the whole thing about, like, how women couldn't run marathons. Like, you know, that was the, there was that whole picture of, like, the first, I forget her name, the first woman who ran the Boston Marathon, and, like, the race monitors were, like, yanking her out of the course to, like, stop her from running. It's, like, who, like, just let her run. <laughs> yeah. So, Diane Crump. So not only was she the first licensed woman to um, ride in a thoroughbred race, she went on to be the first woman to ride in the Kentucky Derby in 1970. And by the time she ended her riding career, almost 15 years later, she had 
one 235 times. Wow, you can have a 15-year career. I don't know enough about jockeys. How long can you jockey for? I guess for a long time. Um, That seems like a long time for, like, an athletic pursuit. Well, and in 1989, so she suffered a broken leg from a riding accident, and she was hospitalized for 10 days. Her leg was broken into six or seven places. Um, She was told by a doctor she would never ride again. Um, And... She came to the decision that she, you know, she was in braces, um, her leg was severely damaged, and she kind of came to the acceptance that she would never race or train again. However, she totally defied all odds, and she resumed race racing in 1992, and she rode races through 1998, and she finally retired in 1999. Good for her. Yeah, I know. Especially since, like... I mean, to have to, like, face that amount of backlash and protest to do something that should be open to everyone and to, you know, she just, she never let anything stand in her way. And, like, the year before when she tried to enter the race for the first time, two other women tried and they, they, the male jockeys threw rocks at their trailers. Oh. Yeah. Um, And eventually track officials started like threatening the the male jockeys to be like okay you need to stop harassing these women um but after diane crump rode in the 1970 kentucky derby six women have competed in u.s triple crown events that's still not that many i know it really isn't julie crone is the only woman to have won a u.s triple crown race she won the belmont and Rosie Napravnik became the first woman to ride in all three uh, Triple Crown races. I'm like, this makes me more interested in horse racing now that I know a little bit about women in it. I hadn't really given it much thought before, but yeah, all the jockeys I've like heard of are male. Yeah, and like sometimes you do see women. I mean, they definitely exist, but um, they are few and far between, which is sad. Can you ride a horse? Um, very badly. <laughs> so I. I have ridden a lot, but uh, every time I do, like, something bad happens. <laughs> I don't oh, no. know why. Like, I feel like I'm cursed, honestly. Like, I've honestly, I've never fallen off a horse, but I've had many, many close calls where, like, horses under me have bolted, and it's been oh, no. a struggle to stay on their back. It happened to me last year in Iceland. We were riding those Icelandic horses, which are very small, and mine just well one of it wasn't mine one horse like spooked and started a freaking stampede and all of our horses were like (laughs) sprinting and I know like you're not supposed to be like you're not supposed to yell you're supposed to keep calm like I I kept calm I didn't freak out you know it's also like a little bit terrifying when you're like caught in a stampede and you're like I better not fall off this horse because I will get trampled by the ones behind me easier said than done for sure (laughs) yeah so I will do it but I'm not super I'm, I'm a little scared of it <laughs> the first horse I ever rode was named Professor Higgins Aww. I don't know how I remember this and the summer after I graduated from college we did like a family week-long trip to a dude ranch in like Jackson Hole mm. and so we like rode horses every day and my horse there was named Spook which oh, is no. like a terrible name for a horse but he kicked Aaron in the knee once and she had like a really bad bruise knee for a while but I he never hurt me and I like jumped with him oh that's like tiny jump like that was like the most horse 
experience I had in a row because I feel like I've ridden a number of times in my life but it's always like once a year One or, like trail ride not here, often yeah. enough yeah so like by the time I get any confidence I'm like not gonna do it again for months well yeah because I went I did a dude ranch too when I was like 13 I went with my uncle and his family to like we were in Idaho I think and that was awesome because it was like two weeks of like straight horseback riding you got a lot more confident but then I didn't yeah. do it again for like six years so yep <laughs> There was a picture of me actually that we dug up a while back and it was a picture of my sister and I and we are riding horses in the ocean with no what? saddles on and no helmets on. And I was like, Impressive. when did th- this happen? And my mom was like, oh yeah, we went to the Caribbean and you and your sister rode horses. And I was like, <laughs> in the ocean with no like bareback? Like what? <laughs> and then, then I was like, oh yeah, I do remember that because my sister's horse spooked and ran up the beach and she fell off. Oh no. But I was just like, in this day and age, I would never ride a horse bareback in an ocean with no helmet. Like, yeah, that would never happen. What yeah. were we thinking? <laughs> That's hilarious. I mean, since I know your sister is alive and well, so. Yeah, and she actually, my sister is a really good horse rider. She took lessons, like, when she was a kid, and she actually competed in college, and when she was in high school, like, she was really, really good. Oh, that's awesome. There's so many, like I, um, at least my parents' neighborhood is like in horse area. So like a lot of their neighbors have horses. Like I think I've told you like camels and llamas Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, sometimes I drive around and I'm like, oh, I wish we had a horse or like something about it feels so like cowboy Arizona, like desert. Did I ever tell you, um, about how my parents lied to us about getting a horse? I don't think so. This is actually super, Chad loves this story. He thinks it's hysterical. So... Because my sister was so into horses and was, like, really good at it, she asked for a horse. And, of course, my parents were like, we're not getting a horse. Like, that's crazy. (laughs) And then there was this thing in Pennsylvania. It was called the Pennsylvania Governor's School. And it was, like, a program that you could apply to. And it was really competitive. And if you got in, it was, like, an eight-week program during the summer. And it was, like, an agricultural sciences course. So you got to, like, go to Penn State and learn about, like, large animal veterinary science. And, like, you visited a slaughterhouse. Hmm. And you, like, hatched, learned how to hatch chickens from embryos. And, like, really cool stuff. That's awesome. But it was really hard to get into. So <laughs> my parents were, like... Okay, Meredith, if you can get into this governor's school, we'll get you a horse. And she was like, okay. And so she applied, like, she wrote her application. She was, like, really serious about it, and she got in. And so my parents were, like, totally put on the spot because they were like, oh, shit. We did not think she was going to get in. And so they changed it, and they were like, okay, okay. If your sister can also get in, we will get you a horse. (laughs) Which was funny because, like... My sister was smarter than me, like, in school and stuff. And so I just think it's hilarious that, like, they were like, okay, okay, okay. But really, if your sister can get in, then, like, that's when we'll really live up to our word. That was, like, their version of when pigs fly. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. (laughs) And then, against all odds, I applied and I got in, too. And my sister and I were like, okay, we both got in. And my parents were like, yeah, we're still not getting you a horse. Sorry. (laughs) Oh, man. That's a warning out there for all you parents to, kids will remember what you tell them. Oh my gosh. That's hilarious. Oh my god, that's Yeah, don't underestimate your kids. (laughs) Promise them a horse and they'll do amazing things beyond your wildest dreams. So true. (laughs) Love it. 
Well, what did you research this week? So I looked into the, I'm not even going to be able to pronounce this right, the Dumavoy. Oh, the house spirit? Yeah. Mm. He was like my favorite of the creatures that we met. And I just love how he like lived in the oven. <laughs> uh, okay, can I th- confess that whenever they were talking about him, I always imagined a little gingerbread man. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You should see some of these pictures though, because he does not look like a gingerbread man. I'll have to send you some funny ones. Okay. But um, he, so he's a supernatural creature in Slavic mythology. And this wasn't really clear in the book because he seemed to be attached to the house. But what I was reading is they are attached to a family and serve as their guardian. Oh, so, oh I like that. Yeah. But you also want to stay on their good side because they can cause mischief. <laughs> so the name actually means master of the house. And it's usually described as being a tiny, hairy, male humanoid creature with long, with a long gray beard. And sometimes it'll take the form of a deceased ancestor or even the family pet. Oh, I would not like that. Yeah. But they said usually you won't see one. It stays hidden from human sight and it'll dwell in the dark corners of your house. So, especially near the stove. And... You may see the true form at some point, but it's actually considered a bad omen and a warning of impending death, which also wasn't brought up in our story. Oh, not at all. Even though she saw him, it was never thought to be a negative thing. Um, more often, though, you'll feel the presence in different ways. So if you hear the sound of footsteps or things in your house are moved somewhere that you didn't move them, or even if you're, it was thought if your pet is making a lot of noise, like I'm thinking about when my dogs get the zoomies at night, mm-hmm. um, it's thought that they're playing with the Domo Boy. Yeah, the other thing they said, or if a man wakes up to find his beard has been plated, which I just thought was funny. Like, if you wake up and you have, like, a bearded, a beard, braided braided beard. beard. (laughs) Oh, my God, that's so funny. So the little demon just likes to braid men's beards in the middle of the night? I guess. I kind of want one. I know. They they are kind of cute in a, like, old man kind of way, I think, but, um let him braid my hair they were sort of helpful in this book too right because they were like doing mending and stuff so they will protect the family that they live with especially the children and animals of the household and they're capable of protecting the house itself from things like fires accidents lightning strikes and floods but if they're angered which is usually if their house is dirty or the inhabitants are lazy and disrespectful then they may cause trouble which i love that too mm-hmm. you know how we were talking last time about how fairy tales have like warnings or whatever like i could just see totally. telling your kids you know clean the room you don't know upset yeah <laughs> So if it's upset, some of the things it might do would be breaking objects, causing milk to go off, or suffocating people in their beds. Whoa, that escalated fast. Yeah, so it goes from protecting the family to not so much. Jeez, how how messy do you have to be for it to kill you? (laughs) Well, I mean, I wouldn't say I've ever thought about suffocating someone in their bed, but there have been times I've been really frustrated with different levels of how we interpret household chores. I'm just going (laughs) to... But, like, you know how if things, like, disappear in your house for no apparent reason or, you know, like, the missing socks or, like, they're thought to also play tricks on the family, not even in a mean way, just in a, they're, like, a little bit mischievous. Mischievous. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And there are different ways you can keep it happy. So you can leave milk and bread near the stove. It's also thought that they're fond of tobacco. And um, if you don't use bad language, especially during meals, and maintain a good standard of living, 
the Dumbo boy will be happy. <laughs> so again, just feels oh, like some again, little lessons. Yeah, just having some manners. <laughs> um, and some superstitions, I guess, would be when you're leaving the house for a period of time, the family should sit in silence for a moment before going away as a like respectful yeah. way of saying goodbye. And that just reminds hmm. me, my mom used to always, if we like ran, this isn't exactly the same, but if we went out to the car and then realized we forgot something and had to like run inside to grab it, she'd make us like sit down before we left. I don't remember what that superstition was about, but that's what I thought hmm. of in this game. Oh, that's interesting. And then if you move to a new house, you'll want to take your Dumbo Boy with you. So it'll continue to protect your family. So you would like invite it to live with you by transporting it in a shoe or a slipper. Aww. And they said, again, kind of along this idea of Christianity versus these folk stories, there was a lot of marriage between these two ideas. So, like, they mm-hmm. coexisted together, especially in rural areas. So, for example, a family might move into a new house and they'd invite the priest to bless the house, but they'd also bring their domo boy in their slipper. Oh, I like that. We saw a lot of people um, in this book baking milk as, like, an offering. And I was so curious what that was. Like, baked milk? Is it like a custard? I don't know. I'm looking it up. Russian baked milk. Whoa. It looks like a buttermilk drink. Boiled milk, particularly popular in Russia. Simmer milk on low heat for eight hours or longer. Does it get thick? Oh, it gives the milk a light brown tint and a caramel-like flavor. It resembles the taste of evaporated milk. Whoa. Hmm. Should we try and make it? Should we try it? Yeah. I will. (laughs) Just stick it. Stick it in the oven all night. I guess it wouldn't go bad. Like, it, it, it makes me a little nervous to, like, bake milk. Yeah. Well, maybe we should just be open to trying it if given the opportunity. Okay. Done. No, I mean, you you bake, so how hard can it be to bake milk? <laughs> I don't make anything, so it sounds a little risky, but you're a baker. Maybe I'll try it. You could, I'll report you back. could do it. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't know, now that we've left the house, if we'll see our Dumbo Boy anymore. Oh. Now that she's left home. Although hopefully we'll still visit her family. Yeah, because she'll leave it behind for her brother and Irina, I'm sure. Yeah. She won't take him in a shoe with her. She has her horse friend anyway. Um, I already shared my favorite scene. What was yours? Oh, I forgot we do that each book. Um, I don't know. I feel like something with her talking to horses or... <laughs> like the first time she rode him, Nightingale? Yeah. yeah, or seeing if Nightingale looks more like a horse or a bird. <laughs> Or maybe just, I mean, I always go for, like, the final big epic scene, but just, like, seeing all the creatures in the woods when they're, like, having that final battle, just because I'm so curious what they all look like and stuff. I know. It is hard, because she just mentions, like, the name, and I'm like, oh, but what does a Rusalko look like? Yeah, and now I want to see the little Dumbo boy and the little guy from the stables. And Oh, yeah. I love the stable spirit. Yeah. Well, I bet there's good fan art with this book. Oh, that's a good idea. We should look it up. I always forget about fan art because I'm not artistic. I purposely don't let myself look at it because it becomes a very, very big time suck. (laughs) Well, I also, like, I don't like to look until I'm done Mm -hmm. with something because I don't want to, A, accidentally spoil, or B, change. Like, I like to imagine them in my head the way I imagine them. I hate when that happens. That happened to me with um, Daughter of Smoke and Bone. I won't spoil it, but I was looking at fan art and there were two characters in, like, an embrace. And I was like, what? (laughs) How did she end up with him? And I, like, you know, spoiled that for myself. So that was a bummer. Although I have also, like, seen fan art or fan um, stories or whatever that shift characters that actually never got together in the book, too. So, you know. That's true. But yeah, I agree. Well, should we talk about the next book? Yeah. Let's do it. Okay, so it is called The Girl in the Tower 
And we're going to read up to chapter 16. Yep, the Lord from Sarai. Sarai, okay. Cool. Do you want to read the back of it? Sure. I actually haven't read this yet, so bear with me. Vasilisa's gift for seeing what others do not won her the attention of Morosco, the winter king, and together they saved her people from destruction. But her victory is short-lived. The villagers have condemned her as a witch, and she is faced with a choice between marriage and the convent. She cannot bring herself to accept either fate and instead chooses adventure, dressing herself as a boy and setting off astride her magnificent stallion. So wait, I thought she left at the end of the last book. Did I make that up? Nope. I think they just were playing some catch-up. Okay, just checking. I was like, oh, maybe I did read this and spoil it. Okay. After Vasya prevails in a skirmish with bandits, the Grand Prince of Moscow anoints her a hero for her bravery. But she dares not reveal to the court that she is a girl, for if her deception were to be discovered, it would have terrible consequences oh for Vasya and her family. You're totally right. She's going to have to pick between the gun and the embroidery. I love it. I, I th- oh think we've talked gosh. about this before. I love when girls have to pretend to be guys in stories, even though I also like so hate that I. the world allows, or you know, that it's because of how the world is. Anyways, before wow. she can untangle herself from Moscow's intrigues, and as Morosco provides counsel that may or may not be trustworthy, Vasya will continue and even will confront an even greater threat lying in wait for all of Moscow itself. Oh my god, my research about Wilhelmina Smith was so foreshadowing. That definitely planted the idea in my head because I was looking for clues about it, so I'm really excited. This is all coming together. And we're going to be in I Moscow, and there's... The court. The Grand Prince. And yeah. Okay, cool. I'm excited again. Me too. Well, not that I wasn't, but I am. <laughs> no, I, I like the direction this is going for sure. Um, to, do you want a Russian joke to end things with? I would love a Russian joke. Um, okay. How did Ivan Pavlov get his hair so soft? How? He conditioned it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man pretty good that's pretty good (laughs) um if you guys want to get in touch with us to tell us about any great baked milk recipes you have you can do that by emailing us at mnktalkya at gmail.com we're also on facebook and instagram at mnktalkya tell us your horse riding stories and then read up to chapter 16 and we will talk to you next week bye bookworms go get a library card M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo designed by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.